0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field.
1: Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is
2: Robbie, Robbie Weekly.
1: The first pass, go! Go! Oh! Drive to
2: Ireland! Magic! Once, so the- Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here and this podcast is brought to you in association with William Hill reminder to gamble responsibly and visit dunlewy.net on how to do so i'm joined as always by my colleague with the 42 murray kinsler murray you're standing up this week can we take it that you mean business
0: mm, i felt to like get up out of the seat trying to take a bit of bernard's passion <laughs> uh, learn from his uh, his work ons and his his lessons over the last few months and yeah i'm ready to go
2: and bernard jackman thanks a million for joining us how are you
1: yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm delighted that um, I'm developing leaders uh, and, and sharing the responsibility. So I'm going to take a step back today and no rants for me.
2: Yeah, you, you mentioned that just before we started recording. It's uh, an interesting approach, a kind of a more mellowed show we can expect today. And uh, maybe a little bit of reprieve from the general anger and depression for listeners as well. Although, uh, let's see how we get on. Um, it's easy to say it at the start. <laughs> We'll see how the conversation develops. We're going to chat today, obviously, about Ireland and Italy at the weekend. Might move that actually sort of to the second half of the show. There are a few things we need to chat about first. I think the most pressing issue as far as the Six Nations is concerned at the moment is the... Well, the postponement for now of the France-Scotland game and the eventual rescheduling of it, uh, there is no fixed date at the moment. There's some uh, talk in French media as we record that the game could be pushed back as far as July, which would probably have really disastrous consequences for the competition as a whole, just in terms of it not being wrapped up potentially at the end of it or the scheduled end of it. And we're going to chat about as well uh, a couple of big names returning for the provinces, which could have knock-on effects for Ireland as well. Uh, maybe for the Back end of the tournament, or certainly uh, towards the latter end of this year, France, Scotland to begin with Murray. And I have to say, I have awful sympathy for the Scots. It seemed as though yesterday, uh, literally yesterday, uh, Wednesday, everything was in order for them at least. And obviously, France had 14 cases in their squad or in their sort of overall setup by that stage. So you would have pointed towards uh, the advantage being point uh, well, the advantage being in Scotland's hands effectively. A 15th case on Thursday and that was a tipping point uh, and the game is now postponed and look I suppose on the one hand you could have people arguing what differences one more case make but the counter argument is probably that there's a sense that the the virus remains sort of active within that setup and uh, as much as it might just be one more case on paper there's potentially a few more there that haven't quite registered for whatever reason Uh, and for safety reasons and the usual reasons we we now are without that game this weekend. The complications for Scotland are fairly clear. I think they made their uh, case during the week for the game to be played this weekend on the basis that if it was to be rescheduled for a non-Six Nations weekend, it will interfere with their agreement with foreign clubs uh, in relation to player releases, and that's probably why we're looking at potentially July now, although although that's very tentative at the moment. But like... It is disastrous for Scotland more so than France, really, isn't it? Like Because they have that added complication, whereas for France, most of their players are playing domestically uh, and they have an element of control over uh, the players that will become available, whereas Scotland now face several conversations with several clubs in order for some of their talismanic figures to actually be available for that rescheduled game whenever it is
0: it's a disaster for both really it's i suppose in the end no great surprise the match is, is going to be postponed it's no great surprise that this has happened during the six nations at a time when COVID 19 is still rampant in so many countries um it would have been a miracle if we got through the championship without any great upheaval but that's what we have now <clears throat> i mean that talk of july obviously if we end up in that scenario you've got the really unsatisfying and listen, there are more important things in life, but unsatisfying scenario of the six nations dragging all the way on to then and, and being decided on that final game where you won't get your super Saturday finish, which obviously France and Scotland probably both have ambitions of of being in the hunt for for that title. Um and not only do Scotland have issues over the player release potentially if, if the game was to be played in that rest weekend, but France obviously have to get rid of COVID in their environment as well. They've got to have people isolating how quickly will they get back to training? So there's loads of questions there and certainly the initial feeling uh, seems to be that that rest weekend won't be used. So it is gonna be really tricky to, to find a, a, a date for it. You'd look maybe even the weekend after the Six Nations, um, there's supposed to be a Pro 14 final, probably won't have a Scottish side in that, but you will have guys back to English Premiership clubs, you have the top 14 going again. So it gets really messy because you have European weekends on the other side of that. So absolutely the Six Nations would have hoped to avoid this situation, and it's a it's a shame, as you say, for the Scots. It's a shame for the French. who have got some lovely momentum, had won their two games, had a really good spirit in their camp, and we were all enjoying really watching them play. So it's definitely frustrating, but this was probably always going to be a reality of this Six Nations, and now it's about making the best of it. Nothing is going to be ideal from here, but you've got to try and do your best to save the competition and make sure that that integrity that we speak about is included i think that's why they didn't go straight for a 28 nil win they want it to be as much as possible um a a championship that's won out on the pitch so fingers crossed that can happen in a realistic time frame
2: Yeah, I guess the frustration, Bernard, from a Scottish point of view on the face of it is just that it's not their issue uh, and they're probably suffering as a result of something that was well beyond their control, which is not necessarily to put the blame at France's feet because we understand at this point a year in uh, how how transmissible this virus is and it's crept into uh, plenty of environments in which uh, all of the necessary precautions were adhered to. And yet there are a few reports in France that I was reading this morning and yesterday where they were actually kind of blaming Fabian Galtier a little bit, like at least suggestions in keep that have been sort of regurgitated or repackaged elsewhere by other outlets, that it was he who was patient zero, if you like, and that he allegedly broke the bubble, something which he disagrees with and, and is on record as doing so. Uh, I, I found that interesting, though. I don't know if you've been speaking to people in France um, over the course of the last couple of days, but even the fact that like a guy who is doing a fantastic job over there is almost being blamed, or there are suggestions of blame actually towards him as as one individual, rather than this being just circumstantially unfortunate, if you like.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's strange. He he, he would have a few enemies in the media, uh, Fabian. He can be uh, uh, quite opinionated, um, and and has certainly rubbed some up the wrong way. But they, I, I think it's more a case of he he obviously uh, was the first to, to fail the test, and then, and then obviously it's 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 become a cluster. And people are putting two and two together, but I, I, look, I think the problem, the reality is, moving a, a small army like that, you know, f- from across the country to play a game, um, and you know the the amount of interactions they get, even when they're in the bubble, there's still people who serve the food in in Marcosi, there's still the, the flight over and, and and the the flight attendants, like you, it's just so hard to pin it down where it's come from. So I think that's pretty harsh to be. Um, Blaming Fabian fabian and if he says he didn't break the bubble I, I presume he didn't you know um and i haven't seen any evidence to say that he, that showed that he did so i just think it's yeah it's a it's it's looking to put blame on somebody and you know it just shows you that once he gets into a squad it's very difficult to contain it and even though we only had one failed test today um which it's which some people would say oh well, so why don't they just find another player to replace that player the reality is there's probably a lot of close contacts within the squad. Um and I suppose from a Scottish point of view, they would want to have um a, a probably more sustained, clean bill of health across the squad to play to even play them as well. So it's kind of what happened with Chulon when they went to Scarlets and they didn't feel that the Scarlets could have um uh you know been hundred percent sure that that they were all clear and the players didn't want to play. So it's a it's a difficult one. Um I, I think They'll do everything in their power to get it played, um, before before the last round, Super uh, Super Saturday, and they'll even look at potentially awarding the game to Scotland, um, rather than let it drag into June. I think you know from a Six Nations point of view, they'd rather have the last round, you know, dictating who wins it. And uh, ironically, Scotland France could still be in the hunt, um, going into the last round even with a with a with a four for the match. So I look at it, it's it's far from ideal, but you know we all know that the whole competition and pro pro sport is on a is on a um a tin line every week and, and unfortunately you know this is just it's, it's a um it's, it's one of the people I of the, the games to miss out
2: can you talk to us about that issue that scotland face now in relation to their player release agreement with some of those foreign clubs like how troubling actually is it in practicality or in or in reality if you like when it comes to having to negotiate essentially for these player releases like obviously there's going to be pushback from clubs murray talks about the fact that there's a say a european weekend the week after the pro 14 final in which there wouldn't uh be scots involved necessarily and like on the so you can kind of argue okay well the clubs are definitely going to need the scottish players for that weekend but then on the flip side of that you probably have a couple of those English clubs uh, who will be looking more so towards Premiership even the week before that rather than European like some clubs might feel as though they can lose afford to lose the Scottish player on a European weekend whereas others will, will feel they can't uh, so they're, it's, it's complicated in that front but like is there a re- realistic proposition in which Clubs actually just refuse to release players on a sort of a mass basis. How much does sort of player power come into it as well? Because I'd imagine a lot of those players would would actually want to play for Scotland even in, in a decisive Six Nations game.
1: Player power will have no influence. Each individual club will have no say. It'll be the collective. Um, so the governing body of the of the Premiership clubs, um, obviously, Racing uh, is a little bit different um, with with Finn Russell, um, but the Premiership clubs in general have been uh inflexible in, in these situations and and they basically say look we're all in this together um and if we start to give in certain scenarios now maybe covid maybe covid uh, w- you know is a is a, is enough of a reason to actually uh, be a bit more flexible but in general it's been the the governing body that the, the all the clubs as a whole have kind of stuck to their guns and made sure players came back toby Falatow played for bath last week um, for for example, and they insist that players play in, in in um in test or come back to the club in test week. And obviously, if they're in, if they're not injured, they don't play. And I I think that's going to be the issue. I think Scotland, the Premiership clubs, would be very slow to release the the Scottish players. And uh, it's less of an issue for, for for the for the top fourteen clubs because it's only really uh maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think it's just Finn coming from Scotland. Um, or from France, but. It's generally not the clubs on an individual basis who have the who have the say.
2: Do you imagine or envisage, Murray, that these exer- exceptional circumstances could see a, a sort of a loosening of that adherence to uh, a kind of a collective approach on behalf of the Premiership clubs? Or do you think they would remain steadfast in, in kind of refusing to release Scottish players for a game of this magnitude, potentially?
0: You can kind of understand if they do, if they are a bit stubborn with it. They've probably given o- already in terms of calendar and moving things around... Um, and everyone probably has their limit in that sense at the same time you'd love to think that test rugby is still viewed as the pinnacle of the game and that potentially even world rugby or six nations should have foreseen something like this happening and and made a move in in advance to say shift that reg nine window as they did back for the autumn you remember they they changed that that window so that players would be available it doesn't seem like that's happened unless it's happened very much behind the scenes Um, So I could listen I can kind of understand clubs insisting they've got a season to complete as well and they've got their windows that they want their strongest teams available for the guys they pay in some of those instances a lot of money to so I can understand if they if they stay steadfast with it but like it would just be brilliant if we get this six nations finished in the time frame it's supposed to be because otherwise you have the same situation as you did last year where everything's kind of building up and you're running out of windows and just gets messy all over again.
2: Certainly does. Better news on the Irish front... Uh, we've got some big name returns. Murray, I'll stick with yourself. Joey Carberry back in Munsters. Match A twenty-three for uh Friday night's fixture with the Cardiff Blues. You've got Robert Ballicoon and Jacob Stockdale back in action for Ulster as well, which is of a well, it, which is a significant boost to them. Start with the uh, Carberry, like it, it kind of is I think a, a bit of a boon for Munsters prospects for the rest of this season, but obviously there are implications there for Ireland as well. As there are, of course, for Stockdale and potentially Ballicoon, but just given that 10 and 15, if you like, in terms of how Ireland play are sort of hot-button positions at the moment. Um, I'd imagine there's a kind of a, uh, I I don't know, like a unanimous sense of relief that that Carberry is back. Albeit, we probably have to temper expectations as well. He's played one game in basically two years. Uh, So, great to see him back, and yet patience required here i think before we can start kind of celebrating wildly. Yeah, well
0: everything so far indicates that there is going to be that patience that caution that understanding that he'll take a while to get back up to speed because maybe last time things were a little bit hurried and it was the pressure of the world cup from himself as well from joey carberry wanting to go and, and play in that as well so really this problem is dated back to august 2019 as you say it is fantastic news for everyone in irish rugby just first of all on a personal level to see a guy who's had such horrible injury struggles repeatedly, and not just this time. He's had hamstring stuff before. He's had that broken arm. He's been really unlucky and hasn't really had a chance to completely fulfil the potential that everyone sees him as having. He's 25 now, so he's still a young man. But I think it's really exciting for Munster and Irish rugby to have a guy back with his particular skill set. I actually think since he's been injured, his strengths have become even more important, particularly at the top level of rugby. His creativity, his footwork, ability to beat defenders, his attacking, kicking skills in particular, something that we've talked about a lot, are really relevant to how the best teams operate now. A guy who can, we've talked about about decision-making with Ireland, he can make good decisions consistently, he can see space, he can identify it, he can communicate really well, and he's calm on the ball. So it's massively exciting to get that skill set back into the Munster team first and foremost. And they've got their, I suppose, quarterback figure back a guy who as we say at 25 feels probably this is the next chapter for me now I'm going to step up here be a leader make up for lost time and then with Ireland as well he's pretty much the figure we've talked about them missing in terms of a second playmaker as well as also someone to push Johnny Sexton obviously we're going to be um, patient with his, his return but certainly he's the one that the RFU viewed as the next in line um, behind Sexton and that's the way it was before he was injured he was there pushing and getting minutes off the bench and contributing really well in that Grand Slam even starting a test down in Australia that summer of 2018 much to Johnny Sexton's dissatisfaction at the time so it's positive in so many different aspects but first and foremost yeah get him back on the pitch don't expect too much too soon but at the same time I think it's right to be excited for, for him on a personal level and also just for Irish rugby
2: Murray has alluded to the uh, potential for Carberry to play at fifteen for Ireland in the past, Bernard, and you you could probably make that argument for Munster as well, given that they have a, a conveyor belt of talent coming up at ten. Albeit uh, much of that talent is untested at the moment, but there are options there. Just want to get your own take on that. Like, do you see a future for Carberry at fifteen for? ireland or do you still very much see him as a 10 and and that potential successor to sexton
1: look at i think to be honest to be honest probably at the moment the need is is more prevalent for him to be the backup to johnny or to replace johnny uh, eventually um uh, just because the fact that we haven't been able to find another 10 um you know who's proven himself to be the ability of, of joey in, in while joey's been out so um you know can he play fifteen? Yeah, he, he definitely can. I know Leinster thought he was better suited to fifteen than ten. Um if he plays fifteen, do you get an extra playmaker in the team? Whereas if you play him with at ten with Hugo Keenan, you know, and the centres that we're playing at the moment, you still the same issue. You're still um playing with one playmaker. So um that's that's a that's a concern. But I just think look at let's let him get some game time over the next Next month, let him find his his feet, um, and not put pressure on him. But it's a it's a real positive to see him come back. And um, yeah, I, I think I think to be honest, if he hits his, if he hits where he was at, he'll be the next best ten. Um, and then it's a case of whether uh, Mike Cass wants to play with um, you know wants to play with two playmakers and and puts him in at fifteen with with Sexton. But um, I'm just looking forward to seeing him play and and, and find his confidence again and. Hopefully, get a bit of luck over the next over the rest of the season,
2: Murray. Let, let me uh, ask you to add your thoughts to that opinion that you've had in the past, and what Bernard has said there. Like, it, it does feel you and Own Toolan on the Members Podcast, for example, over the course of the last probably two international windows or cycles, have uh, mentioned ad hominem the, the lack of second playmaker for Ireland and how it could be a transformative kind of uh, introduction to uh, the team and what they're trying to do as well like we're talking about Mike Cad and look it's it's not really clicking at the moment <laughs> we can chat later maybe about the fact that the, uh coaching staff feel as though that's sort of um, based on sort of player responsibility or a failure to execute on that front but strategically it isn't really working at least from what we've seen so far over the past 12 months Uh, Hugo Keenan has been a revelation at 15 for Leinster and for Ireland more recently and yet like you think of that James Lowe chance in the corner uh, against France maybe Keenan uh, delays slightly in the pass and it's probably not the most natural aspect to his game We've had similar sort of concerns, if you like, over Jordan Larimer when he's played 15 for Ireland, and we haven't really had a kind of a playmaking 15 outside of Will Addison, really, in the last sort of two or so years. Like, does Carberry, playing at 15, and I'm talking, you know, when he's found his feet properly in six months' time or whatever, add a string to Ireland's bow that, bowl that they actually can't do without at the moment, or is it the case actually that they also can't do without a 10 to replace sexton in the sort of short to medium term
0: yeah and absolutely that's the, that's the big question for andy farrell and co i think munster will be they signed him as a 10 you know um and they they'll want him to lead the the side from that position i think while also understanding that there are two three really talented young out halves coming through in in crowley and healy and flannery guys who probably aren't quite ready to be starting those big matches yet they haven't really got the exposure to them yet. Certainly with Crowley and Flannery, they haven't really got any exposure at all. Healy obviously has has been racking up starts in the Pro 14 and a little bit in in the Champions Cup. So you would hope they continue their progress and that opens up the the pitch for them. I suppose from my point of view, I think it's a good model, the 10-15 or the 10-12, the dual playmaker role, because it, it means that one guy's not just the main man. I don't think that... Yeah, the 10's got a call place. He's in a really central hub of the team. And you want to have a clear tactical leader. But I think the issue with Ireland is that that's been too prominent. That Johnny Sexton has been too much of the of the leader. He's been handed so much responsibility we've talked about in the past how opposition teams have just felt we get to him and we we stop their attack i mean george ford spoke about that last year they felt that everything just goes through johnny Sexton and and they could shut that down um so yeah there's also johnny Sexton and his future tied up in this as well he's going to sign another one-year contract with the rfu beyond that we don't know and you know he's probably having doubts about how long it goes on beyond that as well so whether you move early to put Joey in at 10 or you play him with Sexton in the same team, I could see that happening in the in the shorter term. Um but then is that a detriment to him playing at 10 long term? So it is a really interesting one to weigh up. But for me, getting his skill set back into both teams is is the most important factor. He's he's brilliant at things like scanning, um, seeing where that space is and communicating that to others, as well as directing it from ten um and responding to others, giving him those cues as well. So That's the the most important thing to get him back in there. But I can see him playing at 15, to be honest, especially as he eases his way back into things now and potentially that removes him some some of that traffic and some of that contact element of it as well. Um, And certainly he's got the skill set. As Birch mentioned, Stuart Lancaster felt that was his position, albeit Johnny Sexton was there as the 10. So that kind of uh, stimmied him there. Um, And the RFU and Farrell would just be thrilled. I know Andy Farrell's been really frustrated that he hasn't had him there. He's probably cursed the bad luck in that sense of not having him as that option to, to push sections, Sexton as well.
2: Jacob Stockdale and Bal- uh, Robert Balakoon back for Ulster. Massive boost for Dan McFarland and co-Bernard. Uh, we've probably spoken enough about Stockdale on the pod and uh, as much as it is a, a great boost to have him back. Uh, looking at sort of like wider implications and I guess big, bigger picture... Balakun has been earmarked as a as a potential international like do you see him actually being added to that mix sooner rather than later do do you see him becoming a not only an international but actually a guy who Ireland call upon sort of regularly and and is in that conversation alongside the Stockdales and James Lowes at the moment
1: Yeah absolutely oh, I think he's uh he's a phenomenal talent uh and very very exciting it's a case of just seeing how he bounces back from uh, from this injury, but he has, you know, he has phenomenal space, and I think his his development in a short period of time has been really impressive in terms of his. He's obviously very coachable. Um, his ability to make good reads to to fit into the Jared Payne defensive system, you know, perfectly, um, and he looked to be really flying with confidence, you know, until his injury. So definitely, he's somebody who can, can come come into the into the team, and sheer out now pace is still. An unbelievable weapon, in international rugby, and you know, look at Johnny May, look at Loose Sammet um, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's something we probably don't have a huge amount of, um, and particularly in our backline, I don't, I don't think our backline are, you know, have a huge amount of pace. Um, Larmers more of a stepper. Keenan is you know busy, really busy type player, but probably lacking a half yard of, of 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 pace for it to be, you know, a real worry and stress to defenses. Um and you know Lowe certainly isn't absolutely rapid and I'm not that's not um knocking any of them it's just that's not really where their super strengths are so I think Barclough is a different type of profile and um yeah I'm sure Damien is likely to have him back but also I would imagine you know Farrell would be keeping a close eye on him
2: Let's chat about Ireland then and the team to play Italy uh, you touched upon it a minute ago Murray that Johnny Sexton kind of I'd say half-jokingly or sort of like flippantly said he doesn't know if he'll be here for the World Cup in a couple of years' time uh, during the week. And as you mentioned, what is factual is is that he is probably going to sign a one-year deal for the moment. And maybe there is an element of doubt then that sets in when you're being offered a, a one-year deal. Bernard, to ask you, as somebody who knows him quite well, like firstly, do you think he considered is it a realistic proposition or a prospect that he won't be around for the next World Cup? Is he kind of in a mindset where he's taking it one year at a time at this stage because it would feel like a bit of a departure maybe from the way he has been seen to be thinking about it for the last couple of years
1: yeah look at I, I don't know what he's what he's thinking but I I, I wonder is it a little bit like what monsters did with Carbury and just said look at he's out he's out stop asking about him we're not putting any timeline on it. um and you know when he's back he's back and just take that pressure away from him and likewise with, with 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 sexton um you know' it, is the whole narrative around and people saying, "Oh, look at why are we investing in this guy? He's, he want you know under the World Cup, etc." Is that something he's had a few knocks and injuries and things of like that? Um, and maybe he's just going back to probably where he was at two or three years ago, where he was just had short term goals and you know looking to play the next game, looking to play three of the next four, um, and known he knows that. Look, if he's in great form in twelve months' time, the contract will look after itself, and he can make a decision then. So probably, you know. Probably being overly honest, um, in terms of his ambition to go to a World Cup became a bit of a um, a stick to beat him with to a certain extent, and created more chat in you know in society around everyone saying, well, look, can he get to the, you know, can he get to the World Cup, etc. Whereas, you know, the reality is, no one, even a you know a Hugo Keenan or a um, you know a Craig Casey, might make the World Cup because because it could be injured, and you know, so it's it's hard to actually. Um, really planned that far in advance. So I think he's just taking the pressure off, sign a one-year contract, try and get back a little bit of breaks in terms of injuries, and in a year's time, if he still feels good, then obviously um, he can sign on sign on again. But uh, I, I just think that potentially he's he's trying to focus on on the here and now rather than plan too far in the future.
2: Starts uh, for Ireland in the very immediate future this weekend, Murray. Did the team resemble roughly what you expected obviously there are changes in the front row you've got tigburn at six and a couple of interesting calls but overall a strong team um any changes to what you had pictured in your mind in advance of it
0: yeah i mean it's along similar lines to kind of what we spoke last week i was trying to think i think the pack is maybe exactly what we had thought it might be and i suppose once he named the squad wider squad with with no changes you knew that it was going to be i suppose a very strong team but it's still an exciting team there's still a seven changes to it there's a couple of debuts almost certainly off the bench this time you would imagine that craig casey will get on and definitely ryan baird has a whole lot to add with his athleticism i can't wait to see him in test rugby, and that's really exciting ronan keller at 23 getting his first six nations start i know he started last autumn but that's also exciting a guy who showed well off the bench the the last couple of weeks um yeah there's there could have been more change certainly in the back line johnny Sexton, as we have discussed is his captain he wants him raring to go for the Scotland and the England games because Andy Farrell is very much focused on winning those two so I guess given where they are which we've discussed is not ideal at all and um, there is an element of change there there is an element of of freshness I suppose I'm excited to see Tyburn at six again we discussed his attributes suiting that role with his jackaling his mobility his handling also his line out defense and, and obviously a great option in, in attack in that area as well that's really exciting to have in your in your back row. Will Connors had a good impact against the French late on and nearly changed the momentum of the game at exactly the right time for Ireland. So he's rewarded with with his. And then Larmer, who Birch mentioned earlier on, that footwork is just thrilling. Obviously, he's got aerial challenges at the moment and has to improve those skills. But he's a Grand Sam winner as well. He played a role in 2018 and he's a guy with a very determined mindset. So you would imagine he's been working hard on that stuff in the background. Yeah. Um, So there's a a balance there, I think, between getting his key guys. I think Conor Murray would have played if he was fit. But getting the kind of momentum rolling again before two huge games, as well as just trying a couple of little different things um, across the team. So I'm I'm excited to see this team play. It's really strong, and, and you would imagine they'll win well in Italy. And hopefully they can remedy some of those issues or start to remedy some of those issues that we've talked about in terms of their attack especially. This is not going to be a good barometer of... Where they've actually done that, I think Scotland and England games will tell us more. But that's not to diminish it completely. It's still a test match, and they've still got to get to show on the on the road again.
2: Your thoughts on the team, Bernard? First of all, and in an overall sense.
1: Yeah, look, it's 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 probably as we predicted. I I've no issue with with Coin starting. I think Kelleher um, you know, could easily become number one hooker for for Ireland. Ty Furlong was always going to start so it's strong I feel a little bit sorry for for Reece Ruddock who had a who had a good game and obviously he loses out to a, a non-specialist six um I think the I think probably lacking a little bit of pace maybe in the back row but that won't be an issue this week um I think Conan Conan's coming back into good form obviously from injury so yeah I, I would have started Conan to be honest um in I think that would have been the you know giving him a chance to to start and he's a he's a more Productive ball carrier at the moment. In terms of impact, I know CJ makes a huge amount of carries, but in terms of you know getting gain line, getting go forward, um, he he is a little he, he's stronger in that area than, than CJ. CJ's work rate is is phenomenal, but um, and then yeah, I'm happy to see Baird on the bench, Craig Casey on the bench. You know, I probably would have left CJ out completely and, and gone with Coombs on the bench, um, just to, to have a look at him, reward him. I think he's someone that we need to we need to look to bring through, um. Yeah, and and I text Murray earlier to see how many players um, Andy fired has cap. So he's capped eleven, which is, which is credible. He will they ca- have thirteen capped on um, at at the end of the day on Saturday. You'd imagine, um, and I suppose the challenge is is to find two or three of those thirteen who become starters. You know, and that's the reality of it. Uh, like, um, you know, you look at Wales and, and Lewis Reese Sam. It looks like he's going to be a star and and could go and have you know significant inf- influence for Wales over the next 40 50 or sorry 40 50 caps to get 40 50 caps and, and um that's what you want you there's no point in, in really having loads of depth. you just need three or four you know guys like Sexton Murray um Rory Best etc who can have 10 or 12 years in the in the team and be part of the success so he has given people opportunities um the challenge now is to is to get than another Kaelin Doris, who we know is of that level, you know. Um and I don't think that's that's he hasn't had a great amount of luck with that, to be honest. He you know, um he's found some he's found some depth, but I don't think he's found match winners. Um and I, I Keller could be Keller could be someone who, you know, has a huge influence. I just think that the way the game has gone, um I think the line out will be easier for him now with with obviously a, a system that looks to be a lot fluider, finding space. Uh, he'd get confidence from, from that and the rest of his game is very strong so yeah I think it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a as expected team and given we lost the first two he needed to go strong in terms of combinations obviously a full Leinster backline which is very unusual um, 10 Leinster players in the starting 15 so in terms of cohesion they should be on the same page
0: Yeah just to reiterate that a bit Keller and Baird are probably the two guys that Andy Farrell feels can be those figures you're talking about Bernard I, I'd say that maybe even would have anticipated that keller would claim that starting spot even a little bit sooner but as you mentioned a couple of line-out issues that weren't all on him were were probably damaging like he is a remarkable athletic specimen even when you come off the bench when he came off the bench the last couple of days you saw it making double tackles running over alan winn jones at one stage was just eye-opening in terms of what he can do and the same for baird i really am excited about what he can do he's freakishly powerful. He's obviously tall, he's strong, he's really intelligent, already has called line outs in Leinster and, and things like that. And he's a potential game changer. Obviously you've got your established now second row pairing of Henderson and Ryan who have loads of growth left in them. But Baird can absolutely play a role either as a game changer off the bench. He's played six as well. So I'd say they're really excited about getting him into that mix. Also a good stat. I you mentioned the Leinster back line there. The unbelievably impressive Stuart Farmer says there's actually been an all back backline in Test rugby twice before, but not since 1912 and 1931. I don't know how he's tracked that, to be fair to the guy, but that's really impressive. Statship.
2: That is outrageous. Uh, looking at this game, like um, in, in sort of the terms that you uh, described it earlier, Murray, uh, like, so. It's a game that Andy Farrell absolutely can't take for granted at this stage, as we've established previously, and as everybody knows. But it, it's also a <laughs> damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't type of game because if Ireland's attack clicks to an extent and just looks aesthetically better than it has in recent weeks and months, people say, well, it was only Italy, you know. Um, and yet, if it doesn't, <laughs> then there are even bigger issues and the criticism is magnified and, and accentuated in the aftermath. Like, the only game that you could say just in terms of the level of opposition that it's comparable to i think is georgia in the autumn where first half there actually were glimpses of ireland's attack uh, sort of functioning fairly fluidly uh, to to say limited returns like um but returns nonetheless and then that dropped off a cliff in the second half and we've discussed the game in the past but it's i guess a danger here as well is that like if you have a repeat performance, even if there are sort of glimmers of it coming together nicely and then it, it doesn't really materialise in the second half, then you're at risk really of, of a sense of having hit an absolute brick wall in what they're trying to do. Not only in terms of the knock-on effect uh, on confidence for those last two games that Farrell wants to win, but in terms of, I guess, the perception of it, Like this needs to go well and it needs to look good or else there will be a real feeling that Ireland are in trouble.
0: I agree with you. I I don't think there's been as pressured an Italy game for a long time. They've lost the first two matches of the Championship. They've absolutely got to win this and, and get that momentum we spoke about back, um, both within camp and without it as well. I, I agree with you. It would just be a really negative spiral to be on, and it would be hard for players to ignore that if everyone's getting stuck into them after they struggle past Italy, or I won't even mention it. <laughs> it hasn't happened since 2013, but yeah it's it's really vital for this coaching staff and what they're trying to implement and this is a game absolutely where we should see more of that stamp and and you would hope is the case you think back to last autumn when they they hammered italy at home but even in that yes italy were poor and they reacted poorly i thought it was encouraging that there were a couple of turnover tries in that game something that's obviously not been a strength in the bigger games and certainly not last time against france when as we spoke about, they missed a couple of opportunities or didn't look prepared for turnovers. You think about that game where Caelan Darris wins the ball under their posts and everyone clicks into a, a counter-attack mindset and, and Conor Murray l- rolls that lovely grubber kick for Hugo Keenan to score. There was obviously the other one with Peter O'Mahony's beautiful one-handed pass uh, to Bundy to score. Those were encouraging signs, I, albeit against a weak opposition who reacts poorly. You would like to see those things, and I, I know everyone will say, Oh, you should have hammered Italy anyway, but I still think you can take little bits and pieces out of it. You want to see a better variety in their kicking game, more success with that, and and not just contestables, finding grass. They should be able to do that against Italy. Uh, more variety in their playmaking, not just off ten as we spoke about, but off nine. Gibson Park with his creative skills, the midfielders really putting their hands up and being communicative in, in that aspect to to take those chances on the edge when they when they arise being better with the opportunities to offload. I mean, even kick return is a chance. We saw it once against France where CJ Sander actually offloaded Hugo Keenan. Every other time against those strong teams, he's just run into contact. Um, there's opportunities there. The the mindset around those turnovers I mentioned um, and set-piece strikes, they should work better in this game because Italy, as we saw in the last couple of games, they do have slips even on first-phase defence from lineouts. This is a chance for Ireland to show us and very much themselves... That those things they've been working on can actually spark a bit of improvement so there's all aspects of that even their own first phase defense ireland as we mentioned and bernard brilliantly analyzed they had slips in that regard against the french that really should be unacceptable to them uh, conceding in line breaks and, and tries off those kind of platforms so there's massive areas for them to target for improvement and certainly they within the camp won't be diminishing it if they do go out and put in a strong performance Uh, and get a bit of belief in what they're doing it's badly needed definitely and I think it'll ease a little bit of the pressure on the coaching staff as well
2: The coaching staff uh, seem keen to put the pressure on the players at the moment Bernard and I don't really mean that in an untoward way they're just placing the responsibility on the players to carry out the plans that they have made off the field if you like and, and to actually execute what they're practicing on the training pitch and it's probably the right game to do so in that there's every chance it will come together you'd hope against italy and that there will be opportunities there i suppose on the flip side of it usually when a coach does this in any sport it can go one of two ways because if it feels like there's an abdication on behalf of the coaches and there's too much responsibility on players players can get a little bit fed up with that like fans of football for example would have seen exactly this happen with frank lampard recently who was removed eventually as Chelsea manager. Uh, That being said, there does seem to be a real collective buy-in on behalf of this Ireland squad into what Farrell, Mike Hadda, and co. are trying to do. So again, they probably feel as though uh, they can kind of afford to place this pressure on the players. But I just wonder what you make of those comments in a general sense, like uh, as somebody who has coached, and uh, I wonder if you've sort of implemented this yourself in the past, like... um, I guess throwing down the gauntlet to players, like it's on you now. You you go out and do it, or else you're the problem. And there are probably a couple of follow up questions to that as well.
1: Yeah, it's very. Uh, I I was really shocked by it to be honest. I, I didn't see it coming. Um, and a lot of coaches across all sports will, will always say to to players, "Look at um, the only thing I'll question you about is your is your attitude, your intent, uh, and your your work rate." um if you fail in a skill element of it or an understanding of a strategy that's back on the coaches it's our job to actually make sure you have the skill set and the understanding of the what you're trying to do to be able to perform it um uh but if you're slow getting off the ground if you don't work hard enough on kick chase or whatever you know that's fair game so i I just thought it was strange i I thought the rfv or the, the irish squad were kind of there was a bit of bit of structure to the to the, how they handle the media over the previous two, last two weeks in that you know there's obviously been question marks around our player development pathway. You know, they roll out Peter Smith and he explains, you know, how we develop players and then, you know, uh they roll out Gary Keegan, you know, who's gonna fix the mines and, and you know uh his obviously impressive record and, and you're like okay, well look at their there's a thought process here. There's a strategy to use these two weeks to to kind of convince us that we're on the right track, and then I, I just I, I was really surprised that my cat, um, my cat questioned that, and and without a doubt, you know, we we picked out clips against Wales where, you know, they could have and should have thrown the pass to get you to the edge, and then you know that's where you can offload and stuff. So, um, there is there has been opportunities missed, but the reality is it has to go back to, um, you know, you select those players, you know, so you you you're saying they're the best in the country. Uh, you can pick anyone in ireland um so you're, it's not even hard to the squad as such um you know have they the understanding and and the confidence and and the the skill set to to implement it um so i think it's it's a shared responsibility for sure and it's an unusual one. think of Eddie jones england get outplayed by scotland um and you know he could a lot of english players played really badly you know, uh, a lot of their best players, Vunapola, Farrell, he um, said, particularly the Saracens players, but in general they looked really poor. And he could have easily said, "Look, it, you know, we're undercooked. Saracens haven't played for a while, blah blah blah." But what did he say? He said, "It's on me. It's on me. I didn't prepare the team well." So it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a completely different uh, attitude. And, and look at it, it's a stock standard re- response when they don't fire. But um, you know, it does give it does uh show that he's taking responsibility for it. and what he does in private afterwards is up to him you know um but it was just a it's just a strange one really and 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 i wonder look there's no doubt the players are playing for the coaches and all that stuff and playing for the jersey um and maybe he feels uh, i don't know what he feels he would get out of it because i don't see them being able to work much harder um maybe he's just frustrated to tell them you know they need to tr- have confidence to to throw the pass because that's effectively what's causing us the problems is that we're getting stuck playing between the fifteens and I've heard some stuff this week around offloading and and Ireland need to offload more. Yeah, but you have to understand when you can offload. You know what I mean? So I would say the two things Ireland need to improve to get our offload st- stats up is to have smarter set piece launches. Okay. Where we get gain lines where we run at um we run at space within the first three phases like Jalibert did for, off a second phase for the, for the French first try. Uh, that's a start. And then the second part of it is being able to attack the defence where um, they're weaker, which against Italy would be in the outside channels. They're they're actually okay. Um, they're actually not bad around the rook, um, and they, they're quite narrow in defence. So that's basically what we need to be able to do from an attacking point of view. Those two things should open up more opportunities um, to offload. But people expect us just to be offloading without understanding that we're getting stuck playing into where the defence is is strong. I mean it's 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 nonsense. Like it doesn't matter how much the player wants to offload. I mean if you're running into two bodies and you've got no time or space and you're not getting your nose through contact, it's not an offload. It's a pass pre-contact. And uh so that's the that's what that's what the, the Irish coaches need to, to do is to is to be able to identify where the space is going to be against Italy and make sure we have the confidence and structure or the right players on the ball to get to that space, and then the whole dynamic of, of attack changes.
0: Mm. And just to just on the offloading thing, like I think of that example in the in the France match where James Lowe kind of feels a high ball down the right hand or the left hand side of Ireland's pitch near halfway. He kind of gets past Peno, and Fiku's the only one in front of him, and he kicks the ball away, even though he has support around him. Like a prime opportunity that. For me, naturally, James Lowe takes to to offload the ball. But that's the issue. I suppose the players aren't really seeing that stuff. And it applies to getting the ball into the wide channels. It applies to all those opportunities we talked about, like Billy Burns not passing and and kicking the Gary Owen in the first minute, when I think the best version of Billy Burns definitely sees that space or scans that space. I think the best version of Gary Ringrose looks up and has an awareness of, actually, this is on. I'm going to scream for this ball, demand it. And, like, coaching is getting the best out of players, helping them fulfil their potential, whichever way that may be. And at the moment, maybe that's not really happening. And it was interesting. Like, Mike Cat in that press conference his first two answers finished with the players have to do that better, make better decisions. Um, And then we asked him, what are you doing to help facilitate that? And his answer wasn't really that clear. He said, we're trying to help them see the pictures and then they can make a better decision. Um, So clearly there's a bit of a, a block there and... Yeah, it's not just it's not just on the players it's it's about coaches helping them to like work on that scanning work on that ability to when you get a turnover make sure that the decision is right and not just what you agreed what you might do off your first line out near the halfway line so that's a that probably relates back to the confidence thing you're talking about as well Gavin in terms of them having the belief in what they're doing and this weekend being important for it
1: just on that i think like they're not seeing different pictures than on a week to week basis, okay, there's maybe more pressure, um, but like, fairness to Munster, they have a positive attitude to a, to attack at the moment. connor under Nigel Carr and Andy Friend have a positive attitude to attack. Stewart, okay, so maybe not the free freestyle um offloading game that you know Leinster were you know in the early uh last early part of the last decade, but they still have a very good attitude to attack. And when it's on to go from deep, they'll go from deep, and when it's on to offload, they'll offload. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, Ulster under Dwayne Peel as well. So at Larkham, so they have they all have environments where they're not kicking the letter off the ball. It's not ten man rugby. So like the you know you can't really blame the structure. And I think Irish players are skilled. Um, the skill sets there. It's just for whatever reason at the moment, and maybe it's time, and maybe it's just one good blowout, one one big performance, and they get confidence and self belief, and, and we're away. Um, but uh, at the moment, as I said, it's hard to see. It's hard. We, we can't say it with any evidence that it's just ready to click. We're just hoping it will. Uh,
2: and I don't want to be too fixated on the comments of coaches in press conferences because like, if we're, if we're to call a spade a spade, a lot of what people say publicly in all walks of life really is bollocksology and particularly when you're probably media averse and, and just want to get out of there again in half an hour. But uh, I do feel as though they... <sighs> In what Kat said, for example, that you uh, touched upon there, Murray, when you are placing the responsibility almost solely on the players, or you're at least, for this upcoming game, saying, this is on you, you need to go out and, and execute what we're working on with you. If frequently the players are incapable of doing that, and if you're selecting roughly those same players every game, the, the natural follow-up question to it from fans, media, and probably actually from guys outside of the squad, and maybe even within the squad, is, well, why do you keep picking those players like if the responsibility is on the players and they continuously fail to take that responsibility if you like then why do you keep picking the same guys to make the same mistakes game on game on game
0: yeah and absolutely there's responsibility on players and this is more autonomy is probably what the players wanted certainly that was the feedback kind of post joe schmidt that they wanted a bit more freedom and scope to make the decisions on the pitch so sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for and definitely guys are learning in that regard. Gary Ringrose is a great example. He put his hand up this week and said, "Absolutely, I got a few decisions wrong." I think we can probably all think of the examples where maybe he didn't pass or maybe he ran laterally across the pitch and and definitely this is part of his learning process as a player developing into being a top-class center and rounding out his skills that he can create in instances where it's not just his footwork and his ability to beat a defender and get him behind them, that he's actually got to make better decisions and be a better communicator. Um, to those inside him. Absolutely, that's that's part of it. And it's not just all the coaches, but the balance is somewhere in between and and both sides of it are really important. You know, speaking of the attack, Bernard mentioned the set-piece stuff last day against France. It just wasn't of the calibre for a game of that magnitude. There was no... Ingenuity behind it. There was nothing that suggested a, a brilliant kind of tactical ploy, and and they really didn't make much of an impact there. I know the set piece didn't really get much. They didn't get much platform in the second half, but the first half examples were were poor. So that's certainly on a on a coaching responsibility. So there's a bit of both to it, Gav. And the confidence thing is um, is massive. Ireland haven't looked like a confident team for a, for a long time, really. There's no, they don't look assured when they attack. I mean, the two French examples. When they scored are are brilliant there was such an assured sense of confidence about it and then beyond that they'd used their kicking game really well um and they didn't really have to do a whole lot besides that but there was real confidence and belief and clarity in what they were doing and we definitely need to see more of that from an irish point of view
1: just on that murray and, and gab i think in fairness you look at someone like france like they got a big win early their very first game um in the six nations last year was against england at home you know, Sean Edwards' defense shut down England. Now, the, England were poor, but they got a win, and that, I'm sure that secured the uh, helped. You know, the belief in what they were trying to do. I don't think we've had a big win like a win where you know we've beaten the teams we're expected to beat. You know, we've beaten Scotland, Wales, obviously la- back in, in in last season. We've lost England and France, and you can kind of write those off to a certain extent because you know um, they've got all the power and they've got more resource, whatever. So probably for, from a far point of view. He probably hasn't had that big, significant win that gives the players the real belief in what they're doing. Uh, particularly if it's something that's different than Joe, which it obviously is. Um, so that's that's what we need to feel sorry for. Or, you know, sympathize to a certain extent. Now, whose fault is that? That's that's another argument. But they, I'm sure, the confidence isn't as high as um as it probably is for playing for their provinces, where they they know they can beat anybody on on any given day.
0: Hmm. When's the last time, like, if, if you think yeah. back, what are we, back to, all the way to 2018, are we? And even if you yeah. count in Leinster, they've been beaten by Saracens in exactly. those two high-profile prof- situations. Munster haven't got past the semi-final. So, no. so, yeah, I mean, just for Irish rugby in general, it kind of needs yeah, But we could be, hang on, right. hang on.
1: We could be working for an Italian uh, version of the 42 today. And we... <laughs> <laughs> talking about lack of confidence and lack of wins so uh yeah. you know those italian players they, they certainly would have a hang up about about winning um, winning a, a top level
2: game the 42.it yeah, yeah like a, it, no it's true enough as well Bernard about uh, like it, it, a lack of a signature win that can be absolutely transformative for a team um uh, it, it, i suppose and we've we're probably blue in the face really in in describing or discussing how we, we haven't actually really come that close to one either like last week or sorry, two weeks ago against France um, might be remembered in retrospect as a missed opportunity, but it wa- like it didn't feel like an opportunity during the game, really. Just in the way uh, it played out, like on the scoreboard, sure, uh, and and the last phase of or the last phases of play, like yeah, you kind of have a chance, but you know we went backwards ultimately. It didn't really feel like we, we ever got going there in like the eighty something minute, um, but then like the, the you know like we can chat about Italy games, Scotland games, Wales games, and we've done it a good, like over the course of three, six nations now, uh, or sorry, two, six nations now. And, um, or is it three, not two and uh, an autumn nations cup. You need to beat you need to beat England say at the end of this tournament, like for there to be a, you'd imagine for there to be like a proper, I don't know, sense of imbuement on the back of this tournament, because like ultimately these, this, this group of players know Already, they can beat Scotland. They know already they can beat Wales as well, even though they lost them this time around in in sort of with a few mitigating circumstances. So, like it does feel as though you're nearly going around in circles a little bit, even if they show progress this weekend and and it looks a lot smoother and they're more fluid in what they do, more co- more coherent. The doubts will still be there when the England game rolls around, unless you eventually knock one of those teams off. It's it's a bit of a catch twenty two, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, I've sort of just sorry. No,
1: no, but yeah, it's it's a big issue that we maybe haven't addressed before. And, you know, um, and I, and I, I don't think psychologists can necessarily, you know, replicate that feeling you get from having beaten, you know, a, a top-level team. Um, obviously, they can do work with players around, around you know, their mindset and anxiety and things like that. But I just think for this team, and even for Andy Farrell and Mike Cass, you know, it just helps settle them. You know what I mean? It'll help everybody just settle down. Like Paul has had a great, Paul is, you know, it's been brilliant. He's gone in and straight away there's been an improvement, you know, but unfortunately, you know, in coaching that that necessarily doesn't, you don't always get the results very quickly and, and, but having said that, we can't wait forever so I just think it'd be great for Ireland to have a big finish this tournament And but I do think if we don't, if we don't kind of gel and, and get a lot out of Saturday, I think Scotland becomes a, a real potential um, banana skin then and that's, you just don't want that you want to be able to have a really good comfortable win against Italy and then go to Scotland and, and you know um, beat them and then 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 you then the season can be can be saved by a, a win against England but uh, I, I don't I don't know I think it's gonna be hard to see us beating Scotland if we if we struggle to beat Italy there are
2: all sorts of connotations and I don't know permutations I'd love a bit of comfort, though. I agree. Like just a comfortable win would be quite nice, wouldn't it? After the last few weeks, Murray, do you think we'll get a comfortable win?
0: I think it might be a little bit edgy. I, I definitely think they win, but
2: ah, oh, Jesus! Think about the last
0: time they went to Rome in 2019, it was 26-16, and it certainly wasn't comfortable. It was a really tough afternoon, and and Italy were ahead. And honestly, at one stage, you you feared the worst. That was obviously a a miserable year, and this is a different regime, etc. But Italy will certainly view this as a chance for them to m- cause a massive upset that Ireland are vulnerable they're not at peak confidence as we've discussed they haven't been fully firing um, and they'll re- they'll be really backing themselves to make a strong start and And in their project with so many young guys across the squad now that this is something for them to to kickstart their, their project listen I definitely expect Ireland to win it would be as we say a massive massive shock I think they're 20 point or 21 point favourites um, I'm not sure if they'll hit that margin quite but it will be massively welcome if they do
2: it's interesting bernard isn't it the fact that we're looking at this italy game as a potential springboard or just something to get the confidence flowing again italy are looking at this ireland fixture through the exact same prism.
1: yeah absolutely and they'll feel you know if you're franco smith you'll say look we've played the best two teams in the competition um you know we've we've got experience there's been elements like genuinely from an attacking point of view um italy Italy could pick more moments in the two games against England and France, where they they look dangerous, they look like they're implementing what they want to do, than we could. I think in our two games. So, um, look. The reality is, I think at the bottom, uh, you know, when it comes, push comes to shove. If there's twenty minutes left and the game is tight, you know they'll doubt their build, they their ability to close it out. But I think they're only looking for small wins at the moment, and um, they will definitely see an opportunity to probably be bring this game closer um ironically it's usually later in the competition like they usually start quite well in the tournament and then obviously you know the defeats get to them a little bit and and, and bruise their their confidence but i still think they'll see this as a, as a as a really good opportunity for them to go out and continue to build on the momentum that they've built even though it sounds hard it's it's it sounds weird to say that given they're being pumped in two games <laughs>
0: From a championship point of view, it would like obviously from an Irish point of view, everyone's going to want a, a massive hammering. But from a championship point of view, it would be positive to see them being competitive and with this crappy young guys really starting to push forward. Obviously, Garbisi and Varney and the halfbacks, really young guys. You've got Lamarro there, Mori, even off the bench, he was excellent on, on that try they scored off scrum against England. A really nice bit of their attacking flourish, I suppose. And that's what we needed to see. We spoke about it before the championship. They haven't turned up enough over the last couple of years. It does look like Benetton have reacted to their bad situation pretty well and are getting a decent coaching team together there again. So that's what we want to see. We want to see Italy making those strides forward. And from their point of view, absolutely, it would be good for the championship if they can be really competitive in this game and give Ireland a massive fright.
2: Bernard, to wrap, gone be with the days where I could just ask you for a margin in an Italy versus Ireland game. Do we win, firstly? And if so, by how many, roughly?
1: I think we'll win by 30.
2: Oh, wow. That's superb. Not only do we have no rants, but we're finishing on a on a real high point here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thanks a million, gents. Cheers, Gav. And thanks a million to everybody at home as well. A reminder that you can support the 42's independent sports journalism by becoming a member at members.the42.ie. You can then join the great folks in the famed WhatsApp group and you also get access to all of our extra podcasts, including Rugby Weekly Extra with Murray and Owen Tulin on Monday mornings in which they look back on the weekend's action in forensic detail. Plus, during the Six Nations, we've got immediate post-match reaction pods as well for after Ireland's games. If you have a bit of time and if you're feeling generous with it, would you mind leaving us a rating or a review? Forever blown away by the kindness of the people who do so. Even the person who once called for my removal as host of the podcast left a five-star rating. So, uh, listen, swings and roundabouts and all that. Uh, We will be back on Monday with Murray and Owen, plus the post-match as well after Italy ireland over the weekend and then for non-members back next thursday in this regular slot this podcast is brought to you in association with william hill remember to gamble responsibly and visit dunlewy.net on how to do so until the weekend or next week mind yourselves take it easy
1: they've come back and they're gonna really hit this pass at top clip what's this bradley Let's look at it again, it was a big pass to help and there he is, he gets it, he puts it down, he's an ex-hammer thrower, went on a collegiate scholarship to the United States, he has strength and power, he gets across. He
2: caught the all Blacks, snapping, didn't he?